Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke. I am the Registrar of Calvary College, and my guest today is Dr. Brian Nixon. Now, if you've listened to some of our previous podcasts, we have tackled some very interesting subjects. And if you don't know the format already, typically, Dr. Nixon doing the background, but there's no prep, not <laughs> not in the room. So we, we just take this stuff as it happens. But in order for us to determine which of the 12 questions that I have on the list, and there's more questions than this, and I add new questions every week, but in order to find out which question we're going to be tackling today, we roll the die. So I'm going to start us off with a die roll, and we're going to tackle a question because this is stuff you've squawked at us, and we're going to squawk back. All right, here's the die roll. Ooh, question 12. 12. That's the first time we've got one that high. We had yes. four a couple weeks in a row. And, and I was, you know, I was going to say, you know, you have this fancy die, Luke, right. and it has all these numbers, but we keep getting like under six. I go, well, we could use a regular die for that, but now we have 12. Now we're into the big leagues. And I didn't prioritize any of the questions. I just literally threw them on the list, but this is a good one. Mm. How do we know that Jesus is God? Ooh, good, good question. How do we know that Jesus is God? So I'm looking forward to tackling that one. There's a lot of implications there. and There is Dr. a lot of Nixon, implications. Take well, it away. Well, um, let me just start off by some real simple things. Normally, I start by giving a background. You know, I give you the big background. But other than Greek myth and Roman and, you know, Northern European polytheistic, there is no background to some a human being being God. And of course, unless you get into myths of, of, right. of you know, the various cultures. When it comes to Judaism, um, there is no precedence. You know, mm. you can't say, well, back in Genesis 1, you know, you know, there was this man named, you know, Jesus. So this is unique to Christianity, the deity mm. of Christ. And what makes it unique also makes it very spectacular in a good sense. Right. We would expect something this magnificent to be unique. It's not like we would go, oh, yeah, 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 this happens all the time. God showed up as a person, you know, that. that. Right. So this is something very specific, very special that was unique to Jesus Christ, of course. So there isn't a backdrop. So when we get to this, we really just have to focus on the texts that are before us. And the deity uh, really would be self, you know, proclamation, what mm -hmm. Jesus, his own claims. It would be what other writers said and quoted about Jesus. Thirdly, it would be about prophetic fulfillment Yes. Of of what the, the Messiah or who the Messiah would be, more than just a regular average person. But then you would have to put the fourth criteria as those his deity was verified by his miracles, his teachings, and healings and what have you. And primarily the resurrection, of course. Exactly. And the largest of the miracles being the resurrection. So the, the resurrection is, if you will, the icing on the cake. But let's just start off with the, the first um, uh, point I made, and that is what Jesus said about himself. Well, Jesus claims to be divine. 
on multiple accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus references or alludes to his deity. And it's usually in the form of his interpersonal relationship with the Father. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Illusions of that. And then a lot of the other claims Jesus makes are, 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 they may not initially smack you as he's claiming to be God, but when you step back and you think about him, you go, wow, only someone who is a little bit more than man, in this case, a lot more than man, could make these. So as an example, the great I am statements. Yes. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And you know, we could keep going on for these great I am statements. And you go, okay, those sound really cool and they pop. But when you stop and you think about what's being communicated, it is like, okay, I am the resurrection. Obviously, the near implication is that as Jesus you know, prophesied that he would rise from the dead, and he did. But the long ramifications of that is he is deity. He's the resurrected one. He's been vindicated you know, through the resurrection. And just, just an insertion on that point, when he makes that claim, he is specifically differentiating himself as the ultimate agent of all resurrection from a simple act of resurrection. Exactly. And he's saying, oh, you know, I think it was uh, it was Mary and Martha's home at which he's at. Lazarus lies dead. And he says, she says, oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. The res- it's, it's not exactly just right. me doing something to somebody. It's I am the source of that. Do you believe that? Right. right. So very clearly an unusual statement. Unusual. And, and honestly, Luke, we could probably spend the remainder of this broadcast Focusing in on the sayings that Jesus ascribes to himself. Yes. And and that invariably leads to the trilemma that C.S. Lewis positioned. So, you know, we could sit and, and, you know, 2,000 years later, we're still looking at this going, boy, you know, this is amazing. And and C.S. Lewis positioned it this way. Either he was a lunatic that he thought he was something more than he was. But then why was he able to do miraculous things? Why was he able to say right. these great, you know, you know, sayings and teachings? Or he was a liar. Right. Where, you know, lunatic or liar. And uh, then again, the same. Well, if he was a liar, how was he able to do all this stuff? Right. And with the final vindication being the resurrection of the largest miracle of all. And then the third one that C.S. Lewis positions is, or he's Lord, or he's telling the truth. Exactly. And we we have to believe him at his word. Now, modern scholars throw in a fourth L, of course, to try to confuse it, saying, well, the fourth L is really a legend, that this is what people have you know, wrote about him or said about him. But that really, when you look at it, doesn't hold water. So C.S. Lewis's three points, his trilemma, really still holds true. So when you look at someone who says, I am the resurrection, I and the Father are one, um, I am the bread of life, and the list goes on and on. As a matter of fact, you know, we could just, you know, spend all our time, you know, right. unpacking these. But he he goes on to say the only logical things is he's 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 crazy. But then how do he do all this stuff? He's lying. But how do he do all this other stuff? Or he's telling the truth. Therefore, he's Lord. So the sayings of Jesus of his self 
designation, the descriptions, his attributes to himself is would be our first thing. Secondly, um, it's what other people said about him. Um, and, and clearly, people in the New Testament, particularly the Jews, understood what he was saying. Mm. That's one of the main reasons why they wanted to kill him. Now they wanted to kill him for a variety of reasons. You know, <laughs> he, he, he didn't, you know, keep the Sabbath as they thought, their purity. He was hanging out with all the wrong people and all of that. But one of the major things that really caused issues with the religious Jewish leaders was that he was claiming to be one with the Father. He was claiming to be God's son. Therefore, they clearly understood it as deity. So they, the other people, understood what he was saying and reacted to what he was saying. But even, you know, those closest to him, his disciples, you know, after he rose from the dead, Thomas, who was the doubter of the group, you know, basically bows down and says, my Lord and God, you know, essentially, you know, the, the, the modern translations. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. Wait a minute, Thomas. Wait a minute. We got to talk about this. He, he, he receives that um, adulation. So other people have said that. Now, you could go about to what Peter, James, and John saw in the transfiguration. Right. They, you know, they saw something just beyond marvelous. Jesus transformed before their eyes, and then they see Old Testament prophets along with him. And if I can say something yeah. about that, right as Peter recounts that specific event, he says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy pointing to the fact, yes, there's this spectacular event that clearly evidences that Christ's claims are legitimate to say nothing of the patriarchs that were there and even the father showing up and saying, this is my son, right. hear ye him. But then he's saying in even greater evidence of that, is the written word that we have in fulfillment of prophecies. Yeah. So it's like he had this great experience that is sort of standalone, that evidences something important. But the thing that gives the great weight to that event is how it ties together all that has already been right. written. That's exactly right. And that's our the third point is the prophetic you know, utterances. But let's keep going what others have written about him. Probably the greatest or one of the greatest from the, the New Testament is John, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word mm. was with God, and the Word was God. And that is a clear reference. So John, who hung out with Jesus, who saw the miracles, who recorded them, you know, with, with his, his students, you know, into the Gospel of John that we know, clearly says, in the beginning was the Word, and that, that's referencing, you know, God. And the word was with God, and the word and the and the word was God. That is John clearly saying that Jesus was God. And then you could go down to um, uh, Paul in Colossians. What did Paul have to say about this situation? Paul says in Colossians one nineteen, in him, the fullness of God mm. was pleased to dwell. And Peter says in Second Peter one one. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but Hebrews 1.8. But the Son of God says, Thy throne of God is forever and ever. Thy righteous scepter is the scepter of thy kingdom. So what it's basically saying is he holds the rule and reign. In, it goes right back to Psalm 2. That's exactly right. Philippians, 
Again, Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body, power which enables him to subject all things to himself. Only God could subject all things to himself. And the list goes on and on and on. And, and when we go beyond what people said about him, which that was just a sampling, we could even kind of a, a sub-branch of that is what people did who understood the ramifications. Right. Wise men coming from the East who understood the prophetic utterances of Daniel or Isaiah and other things of that, who came to pay homage, a, a, yes. a form of worship. And, and, you know, again, all of these things show that other people who knew Jesus, who hung out with Jesus. And Luke, you know, you and I have hung out. We, 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 we've talked, we've spent time together. If all of a sudden I said, ladies and gentlemen, I've determined I'm God. And I've started to make these pronouncements and they go and talk to you and they, and they would go, Luke, this guy. And, and you'd go, oh, I know him. Let me tell you, he's not God. You know, he, he, I mean, he's a nice guy. You know, we have a few laughs. He likes to drink tea, but he's not God. But you go to all of the people that hung out with Jesus, right? The, those closest to him. And they're saying, uh, yeah, he, he's deity. He's God. So we have the witness of his closest friends. And again, I'll tell you right now, my closest friends would not even say, they wouldn't say I'm God. They, they, they wouldn't say, I don't think you're like uh, even close to the prophet level. I mean, if, if you know, you could maybe reach to <laughs> maybe a nice guy level, but nothing beyond that. So this is a, a very interesting statement, but I, I love the way that that point comes out because there was a fellow that my family and I were picking up for church. This is when this is years ago when I was just in my teens and he would ride to church with us. Right. His name was Brad. Huh. And, uh, yeah, he was he, he he had some opportunities and things like that, but it didn't really matter, you know. He wanted to go to church, so we took him. So we get there, and he'd been coming to church with us for several weeks, and then he started coming to a men's meeting that was held at the church on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And then just out of the blue, while we're having a conversation with the men, he says, "Now he goes, hold on, everybody. He goes, I have an announcement to make." And we're like, "Huh?" He says, "I'm Jesus." <laughs> And he was dead serious. serious. Right, yeah. And one of the guys that was standing there, he says, oh, come on. So <laughs> the the knee-jerk reaction yeah. that humans will have to any other human being making an invalid claim for that is very clear. Right. Like, no matter... so. Your, your example is so pertinent because I thought, I've actually been there when someone did that. And the reaction was, no way, yeah. come on. But... In the presence of the Lord, there were actually people that came to him, right. like Nicodemus. He said, we know that no one can do these types of things except God be with him. That's right. And and so there's there's much to be said for that. Uh, if it hadn't been so clear, it's highly unlikely his disciples would have continued Un- following him while he was claiming that. Yeah, one of the, the, the clearest designations of the truthfulness of let's say specifically the resurrection is the, the disciple witness, right? You know, these guys hung out with Jesus for three years. They lived, they saw, and not one, not one of them said, well, guys, I'm, I'm rethinking all this. They all went to their, their graves. Right. Even Judas. I mean, think about the way he, 
Yeah. He said what he said after he left the temple. Right. And then went and, and went and, you know, died, you know, hung yeah. himself. And so, you know, there was guilt, there was remorse because he knew exactly. better. And so, you know, like we use the disciples and these guys then later on go on to write, you know, most of them with secretaries or, or you know, individuals, right. but they write these epistles and they're proclaiming these grandiose statements concerning Jesus. But again, using myself as an example, no one would write grandiose statements of that caliber with me. Again, or me either. Brian. Yeah, it would be, a, <laughs> he's a nice guy. You know, I wrote a couple of books, you know, that, that type of thing. But, you know, Jesus's dudes, the dudes that knew him the best, including his half-brother James, wrote amazing things about, about Jesus. So, so what Jesus says about himself, his self-proclamations, what others have said about Jesus. Third is um, what you alluded to already is the prophetic utterances regarding Jesus. And scholars go back and forth, as you know, Luke. Some will say, well, there's 300 prophecies about Jesus, some fulfilled, some yet to be fulfilled. And I think that's fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. But there are some very specific prophetic utterances that show the uniqueness of Jesus. Now, as the Messiah, but then with the other things we're just talking about, it really helps us reveal you know, this mystery of who the Messiah really was. And and people have come into that with some really structured mathematics mm-hmm. and oh, looked yeah. at the probabilities exactly right. of those. So it's not just, you know, for our listeners here, for those of you who are listening, it's not just a spurious claim that we can say, well, it's highly unlikely that it's fulfilled. There are sciences that measure these types of things right. that have the ability to do that. And they've come in, they've applied that utility to scripture and they've run the numbers and the numbers are astronomically in favor of Jesus being exactly who he says he is. It would be impossible for him to have fulfilled all that was claimed that clearly references him and only him if he were not who he claimed to be. Right. Right, exactly, and, and and those those numbers are are telling, and so prophecy is so vital. Yes. And you know, most people when they study the prophecy concerning Jesus specifically, you know, they usually look at the prophetic, you know, um, declarations of his birth, prophetic declarations of his his life and teachings and ministry, and then of course of his death and resurrection, and then the future of his of his coming. And if and we don't have time, as you know. We don't right. have time to look at 300 plus prophecies. <laughs> we don't have time to look at two, right. probably. <laughs> yeah, but if you were to start to unpack these, um, it, it really is pretty amazing. I mean, I'm just flipping through. Uh, again, we don't come in prepared with all this, so I, I will look on um, a Bible program um, on some of these. But I'm just flipping through right now, uh, 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 just literally prophecy after prophecy of things that Jesus fulfilled. And of course, the ones that really hit home regarding that major event, the resurrection, is 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 huge. Because again, the resurrection, if you say, it is the pinnacle of miracles. Right. And it's the vindication that all of everything I just did, everything I just said is true. And so I'm just going to, you know, say a couple here. Christ will be our Passover lamb. You know, that that's mm-hmm. prophesied from Moses. 
Um, like the Passover lamb, none of Christ's bones will be broken. We know, we know that. And and just just to clarify, because I, I don't want you to stop that flow of thought, but for for you who are listening, and I don't want to be irreverent, but Christ is not Jesus's last name, right? Okay, so when the Old Testament speaks of Christ, it's talking about the Anointed One, He who will be Messiah, right? And so when that title, it's a title that's applied to Jesus. It's saying Jesus who is the Messiah, the chosen one of God to be the Redeemer. So when the Old Testament, though it doesn't fully in every passage disclose the identity of who that was, it speaks of him as what he is, right. as opposed to who. So when Brian's reading this off and he's saying, you know, Christ will be this, he's talking specifically, Messiah will do these things exactly or will right. be known by these things. So just, That's exactly, just yeah, and I'm not going to read them all, obviously, right. but the Messiah's blood will be spilled for the atonement, Leviticus 17. Jesus will be lifted up and everyone who looks on him will live. Hmm. Numbers 21, 9. Christ's resurrection prophesied, Job 19. And, and you know, it, it goes on and on and on. So prophecy is, you know, in a way, kind of God saying, here, I'm going to write this beforehand and watch it. It will be fulfilled in the hmm. future. And this is my, you know, this is, you know, me putting my stamp of approval that this is is really what it is. And did Isaiah or Jeremiah or Micah, did they know that this guy would be called Jesus, you know, from Nazareth? They, they may not know, but you're exactly right. They were prophesying about the Messiah and Jesus fit the messianic yes. title to a T because of the prophetic fulfillments. Excellent. And in the time that we have left, I, I love the background that you gave, you know, what Jesus says about himself, what other people said about him, and then what people did because they knew him and what he taught. And we're sitting here in this room for that very reason exactly as well, right. which is also an exciting thing. I mean, it's just 2,000 years, right. and there's this huge continuity despite all efforts to wipe it out. Um, just for those who may want to go a little bit deeper on this, if we have the time, looks like we have a few minutes, is, okay, so now we've looked at how do we know Jesus was God? And by that, I'm, I'm thinking that the person's referring to, okay, the Son of God and God the Son, who we understand, and I don't want to get into the Trinitarian aspect of it, but we, he is co-equal with the Father. Mm -hmm. He is co-equal with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's orthodox. It's taught in Scripture. But for those who are maybe dealing with the question of, well, I had somebody come to me and tell me that he's a God mm -hmm. or he's the Son of God, but mm -hmm. he's not God Almighty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can we unpack that a little bit, Brian, and, yeah. and talk about yeah. the co-equality between the Godhead that is clearly also referenced? It's not just... He's deity. It's he is of the same substance, substance as the Father right. and the Spirit. So, so in modern day times, when you hear he's a God, that little determiner put before God is usually Jehovah Witness. Mm -hmm. And Jehovah Witnesses, you know, have their own translation of the Bible where they've, you know, used their people to retranslate it and they've submitted that, that word, which is not there in the original Greek. It says, Jesus, right. you know, the word became flesh and, you know, he's not a God. He's the, you know, he's God. But that's not a new um, false teaching and incorrect teaching. You know, that, that teaching goes back to the early church. Yes. And one of the things that the early church did do is they wrote up statements of faith to say, 
okay, what these guys are teaching over here is not what the apostles were teaching. And then they said, we're going to tell you what the 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 apostles were teaching because we studied with them, we learned from them, yes. and they were keeping it alive. So they they developed what's called the Apostles' Creed. We don't know specifically, probably maybe Arrhenius or or you know, Tertullian may have had some you know input, but we 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 do know that it came from that early Christian community of saying, "Here's the statement of faith." Later on, when that wasn't enough. You know, like where they said, okay, we need more about this because there's still some bad teaching out there. They came up with the Nicene Creed, and that was in, started around 323 and 325, you know, they came up. And so the Nicene Creed, again, a statement of faith where they clarified who Jesus was. Well, even there, it still wasn't, you know, right. good. So the, the Chalcedon Creed came, and that really defined what Christians believe about Jesus Christ. And if the Bible wasn't clear enough, and obviously we think it's clear enough in and of itself, we started off by just hitting some of them. The Chalcedon Creed doesn't so much, um, you know, hit on biblical texts as what I would say more, they give it a more theological overview Mm -hmm. um, of what Jesus is and, you know, and who he is. in relationship, and you've already used some some key words, so I'm I'm getting it right here, uh, you know, on my phone, so I could I could read uh, a, a little bit of it for our listeners. Um, so it says, "We then, following the holy fathers, that's the early church uh, Christians, all with one consent, teach men to confess one the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead." and also perfect in manhood. So he's both man and God. He's the God-man. Truly God, so he's 100% God, and truly man, he's 100% God, a man. So it's not like he's 40% God and 60% man. He's all God, he's all man, of a rational soul and body. So meaning he was was sane, he was there, he, he understood what he was coming for, and we could lay out scripture after scripture demonstrating that. Co-essential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to manhood. So what this co-essential is saying, they're of one substance, they're of one will, they're of they're of one essence. So he is representing God's will in the world, but he's consubstantial with us according to man, meaning he was truly man. He wasn't like right. some phantom. He wasn't some ghost. He was truly a human being. Because, And as you know, Theologically, there could be no redemption if he were not fully man. It had to be a kinsman that was re- that, that redeemed. It had to be one who was made like unto That's us. That's exactly right. In order for that to re- to be able to redeem us. And you just stole some of the thunder. Uh-oh. In all things like us, undo us, without but without sin. So Jesus was human, but he did not sin. Begotten before all ages. So he was here since the beginning of time with the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days for us, our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, which in and of itself is a miraculous event, according to the manhood and the same Christ, Lord only begotten. And the creed goes on and on. But it's that coast, you know, that, that oneness. And in theology, the oneness among the Godhead is, is, is a terminology called um, perichoesis. And it's the mutual exchange of love or the, the intermixed will within in the Godhead. 
And a lot of people have trouble with the Trinity. And they go, well, it makes no sense. It's not logical. And I go, yeah, it is It is ultimately right. a large mystery, but it's not illogical. It's not irrational. We, we know mathematics give us a glimpse. There is one divided by one divided by one. Three ones, three distinct numbers, but equal one. Mm-hmm. We could use, you know, different things. We could use a triangle. There are three points to a triangle, but one entity. You know, about the, the two natures of, you know, Christ's divinity and humanity. Hold up a stick. There's two ends to that stick, but there's one stick. And we ourselves are trinities, right? Right. You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a father. I'm a son and I'm a husband. So it's, but I'm me. So it's, it's not unusual. It's not illogical to think of that, that Jesus is God. It's not an illogical thing. It, it goes beyond our comprehension ultimately, but it's not a point of, of illogical. And clearly the Bible teaches it. Clearly people, Jesus taught it. You know, people said about him, Bible prophecy, he showed it with his miracles and teachings. He demonstrated, he verified all, and then the greatest being the resurrection. All of these are the reasons why we would believe Jesus is God. Excellent. This is such a great question. As you can tell, just from the things that we touched on today, there is so much more that you can dig out of this yourself as you begin to look into the scriptures. And instead of dealing with it just philosophically, or from the Trinitarian arguments, you can go directly to scriptures dealing just with the person of Christ and see that he is exactly who he claims to be. So uh, for those who have asked this question, maybe didn't get an answer to it prior to this podcast, we're glad that you're listening. Take this, share it with people. There are certain faiths that say that Jesus is not God. Uh, We mentioned just one, Mm -hmm. but there are a couple of others as well. So If that's what you're looking for, this should help you with some apologetic equipment to use the Word of God as the authority on the matter. So we're grateful for this question, and thank you for those of you who are listening. If you have additional questions that you want us to be able to tackle here on air, write us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And until next time, thank you for listening.